Ladies and gentlemen, the boys are back in town. The vibes are up. It's a cold Wednesday, but God believe the Triple F is fired up. It is a white wine Wednesday here on the Triple F podcast, baby. Welcome back. We are so excited for you to be here, and we're so excited to have one of our main guys back, Eric Rohrbeck, back in the studio. We're fired up to have everybody. Thought we were going to have a full crew today, but you know what happens. Life happens, but guess what? The Triple F always remains steady. And speaking of diving in, let's talk about, you know, remaining steady. These winter days really get the best of, you know, the farm boys whenever we're working outside. I say we. When y'all are working outside, some days you have to call it in, you have to phone it in and head to Bubba's and, you know, head to any good bar in Amarillo, anyone that doesn't have a big line. Talk to me. Give me your picks since we're a drafting podcast here. Dane, what is your go-to first drink whenever you get to Bubba's, whenever you get to your bar of choice in Amarillo, taking that day off? Um, where's your place and where is your drink of choice to go to on those cold, ugly days here in the winter? Oh man, if you get an ugly day and there's nothing that needs to be done, there's nothing better than an ice cold bush light on tap from Hooters. There's nothing better than that. You get some fried pickles, get some wings, get your buddies around, go drink a little bit. It does not get better than that beer right there. Hooters is a great choice. One of my favorites as well. Bubba's is up there. Like you said, Slade. For some reason, the beer tastes so good at Bubba's. Every single time, 10 out of 10, it always hits. A cold Miller Lite from Bubba's. If it's a, a real cold, wintry day, give me some Pendleton. That uh, I have to thank my brother-in-law, Matt Harrison, for that one. Harrison. Harrison. Right. Okay. I have to thank him for that one. He uh, he, he got me hooked on this Pendleton. So if it's a cold, nasty day slate, I'm, I'm mixing a little Pendleton and Sprite or Pendleton and water. Yeah, the best thing to do is actually, like, on your way to Hooters, you creep by Robex Barn, hope no one's over there, and you pop in, grab you a Miller Lite for the road, so you can get to Ford to meet everybody else, and then you're on your way. Crack a cold one. Triple F is back, baby. We love it, and we love the winter being back. You know, I love this weather, and again, it was one of those days, you know, it started off cold as balls, and you're sitting there like, man, I should have brought, you know, a thicker jacket today. And then, you know, for us inside working, you know, office guys you walk outside and you get a culture shock afternoon and uh boy was that a was that a surprise and a half but uh thanks for working hard outside so i can work hard inside folks uh speaking of guys who worked hard outside taj brooks is an absolute dog working inside and outside on the run game that guy is a freak and we want to just give him a shout out before we even mention the name texas tech red raiders because taj brooks is the Texas Tech Red Raiders football team right now. I just want to give you all some stats before I throw it over to Dane to get his recap. Um, Taj Brooks, you know, since we're a betting podcast, since we want to give you all the bet the farm locks, Taj Brooks over rushing yards and touchdown parlay has hit for eight straight weeks now. That is absolutely massive considering that his over rushing yards have been set at a hundred plus for like the last three weeks. Um, you know, this week coming into just halftime, he had 22 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. What a freaking dog. And he is just a running back in a culture of a football team that we don't really see from tech football. 
I know that Eric texted in and said, aren't y'all the ones that mentioned how boring these SEC games are? Because for one, we had a quarterback who I don't know if he knew his, you know, directions, his left, left from his right. I mean, he was kind of lost there for a big majority of the game. And Taj Brooks just pounding the rock, defense playing solid. Um, you know, that was a lot of thanks to the Kansas quarterback for, um, you know, going down. Unfortunately, we were facing a third string, blah, blah, blah. But we talk about losing quarterbacks. Dane, I think now is the time you take your chance to apologize because you had some pretty horrendous slander on Tyler Shuck at the beginning of the season. And it's starting to look like the coaches weren't wrong for having him over Baron Moore. And I mean, he is very less dynamic, but Tyler Shuck made better decisions and probably made some more accurate throws for a majority. I don't care what you say. Dan, don't give me that look. I We would not have been in the game with Oregon the way that Barron played against Kansas. If Barron is playing against Oregon, we would not be in the game against Oregon had he been playing over Shuck. Agree or disagree? Well, if he played in the game like he did against Kansas, I completely agree with you. But if he plays in the game like he did against TCU, I think we could win that game. I mean, it's night and day difference. You're you're acting like a real tech fan, Slate. You're just going highs and lows. My goodness. I mean, Barron did not have a good game by any means. I I don't. I'm hoping that he was still hurt a little bit to kind of cover up that bad game. Um, and that's kind of what the announcers were saying. They they were saying that uh, when you got those AC joint issues, then. It's like one day you're feeling great. You don't even notice an injury. Next day it's just hurting like crazy. It's just one or the other. And if that's true, hopefully that was just a, a down game or a down day for him. And, uh, I mean, I guess if that's the case, you just got to get lucky, you know, coming up on Saturday and then the week after that. Um, I just can't believe you said what you said, Slade. That was so funny. But going back on, on the Taj Brooks deal, like at the end of the game, whenever we're trying to ice the game and – I mean, Kansas knows we're going to run the ball, and you're giving the ball to Taj Brooks, not saying that's a bad move. The guy carried it 33 times in that game. Like, of course, of course he was out of gas. Like, we knew that he would not be able to get those extra yards that he did. I don't know what you do instead of that. I don't think Valdez could have got him either with them loading the box like that. And that game did look like an SEC game, and I still agree those games are boring until the last, like, two minutes. That's what made me laugh so hard because I started watching it there in the fourth, and I was like, I remember Dane just being so just pissed off at the (laughs) SEC scores, these defensive battles. And a lot of times back in the day with the SEC, those were, like, really good defenses with, like, just good offenses but even better defenses. I feel like this was, like, just really, really bad offense (laughs) on both sides. Slay, what did you think about the Kansas play call there at the very oh. end? I thought it was the worst play call, like maybe the worst I've seen all year. The Kansas coaches really have a knack for throwing in some of the dumbest plays at the end of the game because I thought Kansas State's play, whenever whenever they played Texas and it was coming down to overtime and they went for it on fourth down whenever they could have tied it up and then just had a, I mean, pitiful play call. And the Kansas one – it wasn't pitiful from a simplicity standpoint like Kansas State was. It was pitiful from a, what the hell are you doing? Like, they had been running over Tech in that Wildcat. And they're running back their best player left on the team had finally come alive 
and then they get him into a throwing position where he easily could have been picked off and then, you know, Tech didn't even have to go down and have a miracle drive like Barry Morton and the boys had. But it's just absolutely outrageous that I, I would not be able to forgive that kind of play call. And I get that you're in the game late with a third-string quarterback. You know, Tech has played really well from a run game and defensive perspective, but truthfully you feel kind of lucky to be in the game because Tech has played so dysfunctionally on offense at times. And so I get that you're trying to, you know, go win a game that you probably shouldn't have, but, I mean, trust what got you there. That was that was a bad move. Um, I, need to, I need to go back on what I said. I know that I'm getting – probably slandered by whoever's listening to this podcast for that take. What I should have said was Tyler Shuck should not have been shit talked for being up and down because Baron Morton, his ceiling is much higher. We've seen that, you know, once he, when he plays well, the offense is a much different offense, but he has been just as streaky, if not more than Tyler Shuck. So I think we just should have acknowledged that and maybe, maybe thrown some of that blame on the, you know, on the offensive line and the play calling. Um, but you know, speaking of play calling, there's going to be a different guy running the reins for a very <laughs> near and dear program to our hearts. Um, a change of leadership for the Texas A&M Fighting Aggies. We've been calling it. We've been talking about, you know, this is he's feeling the hot seat. This is kind of the last straw, not who we hoped we were going to be. Eric, how is it? True. Give me your truth, honest reactions. I think none of us saw it coming after that game. That was just a really surprising time to do it. But gut reaction, was there relief or kind of question marks surrounding your brain of kind of the timing of it? Tell me how you're feeling today, you know, a few days to mull it over. But what was your gut reaction? Okay, Slade, I'm, I'm glad you asked. So I just told Dan, I said, man, I could talk for four hours straight right now. But I'm going to just work my way through this pretty quick because I don't know everybody doesn't want to hear about all this too much. But so – Crazy week in Aggieland, right? It was it, what a roller coaster, what a bunch of emotions, what twists and turns. This has been the last week has been truly crazy. First thing I want to say is that backing up just a little bit to the Mississippi State game before Sunday when we we learned the news. Um, one thing that I was just very proud of is that was the the first night game in Cowfield for a long time, and the fans absolutely showed up there were over 103,000 people at that game and I just think that's so cool because in the grand scheme of things it's kind of a meaningless game right like we're out of the SEC West this season we know has not gone like we wanted it to but one thing that I thought was super cool is in this game that doesn't really matter against Mississippi State who's struggling there were over 103,000 people there I mean it was jam-packed and loud so that was super cool to me we start our third string quarterback Jalen Henderson we don't know nobody knows anything about him and he balls out, Slade. Like, he goes off. He looks – he has some spark. He's fast. He's a twitchy athlete. He can throw. All of a sudden, we're all just sitting around. We're like, this guy was sitting on the bench the last few weeks while we've been struggling offensively. So, he was fun to watch. He was electric, dynamic. It was it was a really – the most complete game we've played all year. We beat Mississippi State 51-10. to All three phases played – Besides them taking the opening kickoff back, right? They take the opening kickoff back to go up 7-0 and you're sitting there like, wow, here we go. <laughs> and then after that, it was a 51-3 to game. All three phases just completely dominated. Most complete game we played. So we wake up Sunday and we're feeling good. We say we've, we've kind of, we're on the right track, right? Boom. 
Billy Lucci of Texags comes out and he he breaks the news that they have reportedly meeting with um, Jimbo Fisher and that he's fixing to be let go. It's starting to spread around. The rumors are going crazy. So, Slade, you asked about my gut reaction. My first, very first thought was I had a bad feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh, no, this is a mistake. I felt uncomfortable with it. I said, the, the timing feels weird. I don't know how I like this. And then I immediately, I just started thinking about it. I said, okay, you look at our roster. You look at our talent. You look at our facilities. You look at our backing. You look at the 12th man. Mississippi State game, meaningless game, 103,000 people going crazy. There, I think any of the 10, 20 coaches that are being tossed around right now could come in, could go 8-4, and 5-7, and 7-5 and five in the last three years. So I immediately talked myself out of my, my stomach getting twisted up and feeling like, oh, we just jinxed ourselves. Because I really, truly don't think you could do a worse job. We're going backwards, right? Like I don't think you could do worse than where we kind of are with what we've been with what we've provided if that makes any sense at all so so that was my first gut feeling so so here's the bad let me get to the bad and i'll get to the good the bad we look silly like what a bad in- investment i mean this is this is mind-blowingly a ridiculous waste of money i i can't even wrap my mind around like this is like just total in your face the worst contract in the history of sports. That's embarrassing from a bunch of smart people in a room together that we, that this happens, right? Like that part is bad. Okay. Here's the good thing. Let's turn it around and let's be glass half full slide. Number one, I was mind blown and I still am today. How deep is the well? Like apparently money literally is no, no thing. Like it doesn't, matter because apparently there is an endless supply of money i mean they literally asked our athletic director like how are you going to pay for this buyout and he kind of literally just like laughed it off he's like don't worry about it it was just kind of like and they, they laid out the plan but i mean he was just kind of like you guys have no idea didn't they have to go to the boosters at the meeting to get the money to buy him out though that was a rumor that i heard i don't know if that's true but i heard that they had to hold that meeting and then go and ask the boosters for the money to buy Jimbo out, and then it'll reset, which I, I think the boosters were all on board. But I don't know if that's true because at the halftime of the Mississippi State game, they showed a check. They had a 12-man foundation, which is like our athletics like donor, basically, organization. Like That's who gives money to our athletics. So if you want to donate to the football team, you would donate to the 12th man, right? They presented a check at halftime of that game for $163 million. <laughs> It's like, what the shit? That is a terrible look, though, at halftime, and then the next day you fire your coach. Okay. Sorry. So, so I think what I've learned and what I've gathered by reading all this stuff is like, they, the Board of Regents met the Thursday before, and they met for like five hours, and it was apparently a very heated, there was very strong arguments on both sides. They agree and finally take a vote that they're moving off of Jimbo. And they, the reason for doing it, it didn't matter what happened in the Mississippi State game. Obviously, it didn't matter because that was the best game we've played. They, what they did not want to happen was he finished the year off going 3-0 and we end the year with a win over LSU. And then it, it gets harder and harder to move off of them. They wanted it to be done right now. They wanted to put the name out there and start getting other names, coaches' names, you know, get it in their head, start planting seeds. 
and and they didn't want to give Jimbo a chance to kind of right the ship here at the end. So that made a little more sense because the timing felt weird. Uh, that made a little more sense at the end. So so then I guess if you look at the good, it's like okay, we have endless amounts of money, and I've been trying to think of like an analogy for this. I've been thinking really hard, and this is the best I can come up with. It's like you're playing Texas Hold'em. You get dealt an ace and a king, right? Maybe even the same suit. And you're like, oh, shit. This is because you you raise right off the bat before you even see the flop. You raise. Everybody else is going in with you at the table. Apparently, they like their cards too. Then you see the flop, and it's like 8, 9, 10, all suited, not the suit that you have. So you're like, wow, okay, statistically, your chances go down of losing. But you're like, you know what? I think I can hang in there. Everybody starts raising. So you, you call us, right? So you put more money into the pot. The next one comes out. It's a seven. So you got seven, eight, nine, ten, all out there, all suited. You know you don't have a pair. You don't have a flush. You can't get a straight. You know that somebody else at the table does, and probably multiple people do. You know at that point you cannot win the hand. But you've already put so much money into this pot. So do you just stick it out to the end just to know you're not going to win the hand? Or do you just finally just fold and just sacrifice everything you've put in that pot, knowing it's wasted, but just move on to the next hand, right? Like, that's the best I could come up with. I don't know if that's going to be good at all, but at least we're, we've realized it was a bad investment, and we're folding, and we're just moving on. That's fair. I like that. I do have a question, though. You're saying the <clears throat> timing was really surprising at the beginning. What is more surprising to you, the timing of the firing or – the fact that they didn't name Bobby Petrino as the interim to just see what they got, see if he's changed his way, see if the players buy into him. Because that was something I was surprised by. I, so doing a little more digging on that, this guy that's taken over, he, he's been there for a lot of years. He came on with Jimbo. His name is Elijah Robinson. He's going to be our interim, interim. This year he was the assistant head coach. That was like his role. Apparently he's been there for a long time, and he is like one of our best recruiters. And he is like a player's coach. And so I kind of love it. Like, I love that they didn't go with the new guy that's been there for six months. They went with the guy that, like, knows those players. Literally started recruiting the guys that are there when they were, like, 14. So I love the move. And y'all probably didn't watch it. But his opening press conference, he is just like a play. He'll get you fired up. And he just he just seems like one of those guys that you just kind of fall in love with. So I, I hope that he can kind of. Keep the team together. Hoping keep our core group of players invested. Um, man, we could talk about this forever, Slade. You stole the words right out of my mouth, keeping the core guys around. I love that, again, like you just said, I think it's smart of them to go with the recruiting guy because as an A&M fan, your biggest worry is that you lose all these recruits, all these you know high touted guys that you worked so hard to bring into the program. You have all this money invested into the players foundation. Keep those guys just in just long enough to let that new regime come in. Let them work on buying them back. Cause then they're not working. You know, this guy decommitted, you know, a couple months ago. Now we got to go try to win him back this time. You know, they come back in snap, snap. They're like, Hey, we know where the new guys, you know, it's a little bit easier of a job to resell them on, you know, their new regime in Alabama. You keep them in a little bit longer. So I think that was really smart. I um, I loved your Texas Hold'em analogy. I wish I would have used it while I was in Rio Dosa this weekend. I could have walked away a lot sooner, that's for sure. Um, but talking a little bit about, you know, that firing and that timing, do you think that that 
quarterbacks showing off, do you think that had anything to do with it? You know how, like you said, we're, y'all were sitting there watching the game going, why the heck wasn't this guy starting? Is there any part – do you think the decision was already made to fire him long before the game, or does that just further push them over the edge whenever they see a guy like that and they're like, Jimbo just didn't get in it because this guy obviously is the guy that we need to start the spark. So does that push them over the edge, or was that just you know a silver lining to the whole thing? I think the decision was already made. But it did, like, as a fan, you're just sitting there and you're watching his first drive, and you're like, why do we not know this guy's name? Why did we not even know he was on the roster? And he's this talented. I mean, it did kind of drive you crazy, but you know that all the border regents, you know they're in, like, a group text, and then we're winning 51 to 10, you know they're texting each other like, yo, guys, we still doing this? (laughs) So I got a question for y'all, because I think this is a super interesting conversation they have and I, I talked to Porton about it for a long time at the country club party and I, I want to hear y'all's opinions let's say you have three categories when it comes to recruiting let's say you have NIL money you have coaching staff and you have the actual school itself its location its culture its its history right so you've got three categories there that all are a part of your recruiting decision to go to a school Give me your percentages on what today, on players getting recruited today, they're making a million bucks or whatever. I mean, all these guys that are making shit tons of money. Give me your percentages on where you think their decisions, what percentage breaks down on those three categories. I hate that I think this way, but if I had to break it into percentages, I would say NIL is at least 50% of it. And that, that sucks. Like, that is terrible that I think it's that high, but I really think so. The coaching versus the culture, I would say it's 40-10 coaching to culture. I don't think anybody cares about the school. They might care a little bit about the location. They don't give a shit about the school or the culture. The only time you think, like you hear of people recruiting there or like going to a school because of the history, it's because their dad played there or their mom graduated from there. There's always something like that. You never hear anybody saying, man, I just love – Texas Tech's culture. I just love A&M's culture. No one ever says that. It's always my mom or dad went there, and that's why I'm going there. And obviously, NIL money. So that that's my take on it. But, Slade, what do you think? I took that question a little bit differently. I was thinking where does A&M rank percentage-wise in these categories? It's a different way to look at it. But Please. Please answer that. No, no, no. Please, no. please answer that. Answer, answer like you perceived it first. No, I'm really glad that Dane went first. Uh, I think your culture only matters if it is a culture of winning and championships because that leads to putting you on the map. You know, you can talk about culture like A&M has a, you know, great environment from a game standpoint. The culture is so deeply embedded in these fans that they are so bought into every game. Like like Eric said, so bought into a game that really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean much. And so, when you look at that and you think about you're gonna, you know, go to a culture that you're gonna go in every single game is gonna be truly a true home game advantage. And so, you think about that, but would you choose that over a culture of you know, Alabama that, you know, it's not so well known. I'm sure they have a, I know they have a great atmosphere and whatnot, but they are 
going to be in the national championship talks every year. So you know that you are going to be a player that is going to be seen on the highest stage, the most watched games, stuff like that. That's when culture matters. So I would say it's more of, you know, I think, I think it takes about, you know, 30 to 40% of that. And then NIL really takes the rest because NIL has changed everything, but you can make a lot of money by being in one of those cultures that puts you on, you know, one of the biggest stages. So I think that's what you look, look at. And if these guys are truly looking at next level, I don't think it's nearly as much now that people are leaving high school thinking about the NFL because they think about the money they can make in NIL. But beforehand, whenever you were leaving and thinking about NFL, that's all you were thinking about was going to a culture that is going to make you get better and going to get you recognized by the scouts in the NFL. So NIL has changed everything. Sadly, I think it is like a 60-40 relationship, but I think it's a little bit closer when you think, think about those winning cultures. Um, Eric, talking about money a little bit, should this, like you said, you know, Texas A&M and cash, they have no problems. Uh, they're, 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 they're not, they're not having any beef. So it really doesn't do you any benefit. You know, are you worried about having a big name guy come into the program? Like I understand that, you know, big name guys bring in a lot of revenue. They get the fans juiced up. They get the players excited to stay there. Are you worried about it being a big name guy or are you okay with, you know, one of these not so beloved coaches coming in because you believe they're a better fit? So to go back on the what we were talking about, I was just going to agree with both of you. And I guess my point was we're fixing to find out what percentage of that is the coach. Because I'm kind of – I my surprisingly hot take about the recruiting deal is I think we're going to see a lot less people transfer from A&M than you think. Like out I, of this year. Yes. Like I think that there are less people going there because of Jimbo Fisher than you think. I think people are going there for the money or they truly like – they truly love AM or want to be a part of that. I personally, maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know how many people truly went there because they want to play for Jimbo Fisher. I think it's more like you're saying the money kind of high percentage. So Slade, it's a great question because my, here's what I'm nervous about. We got this hire, like there's so much pressure on this next coach because it's and you have to come in and you have to win a national championship and you probably only have about four years to do it. Like, is that realistic? I don't know. Probably not. But that literally is what, what the expectations are going to be on you from day one because of how public this has been and how much money we're talking about is being thrown around. I'm nervous that they're not going to go and hire somebody up and coming or a smaller name because of how public this has gotten, how big this has gotten. They have to make a splash hire. And I, I don't know if I like that, Slade. Like, I'm nervous about it because – I don't know that that's necessarily the right guy. Well, okay, so you're saying that. So if the expectations are that big, I mean, I just gut feeling, I don't think A&M's going to give up this big whomping contract after what just happened with Jimbo. So let's say you're not just going to offer a shit ton of money. You'll offer a good amount of money, just not a shit ton. And you've got all these expectations. What – I mean, there's not a big name that's going to want to take that, in my opinion, just because those expectations are going to be that you got to go win now. You can't – there's no time to build a program. we got to go win now. I think it's going to be a shit ton of money. You think? I think, it, I think it, we're, it's so 
we're so balls deep in this that I think it's going to be a shit ton of money. Fully guaranteed? <laughs> <laughs> let's, pray, let's pray that we've learned our lesson. We got we shortened that thing up a little bit and we've got a buyout clause in there. Oh my gosh. But but we're going to start talking names here in a minute, Slater. I mean, I can, I'd love to hear y'all's, y'all's thoughts and, and I've got some opinions on names, but um, I just want to give you all Catherine's thoughts because she has very good perspective. And this is her opinion on this situation. And I completely agree with her. Farmers fight. That is like one of our chants, right? That's one of our yells. That's like when I think of A&M, like I think of like gritty, like the 12th man, like willing to do anything for the team, fully bought in, like the scrappy white walk on that makes it onto the kickoff team. Like, I think of that. I think of like never giving up, fighting as hard as you can. And like this money thing, it feels, I don't, I don't like this feeling. It feels like a money show. It feels like a, it started with someone. We started hiring and, or we started recruiting these NFL guys. We started recruiting these me guys. Like I honestly, like, I want to get back to like the K-State roster. I went back to the guys that are like the three stars, been developed back to like, we're here for the team. It's a brotherhood. I don't want K-State's roster slate, okay? I want our roster. <laughs> I just want the attitudes to be a little better. I was just going to ask, does that mean you only want white guys on your team? or like? Just yeah, a- I was wondering the same thing. Is it a requirement to be number 12? <laughs> Do you have to be white? Because now that you say that, that's all I notice is white guys is number 12. <laughs> It, most of the time, it, it is. Because <laughs> the not white guys get, get scholarships. That's exactly <laughs> Or all the other white guys are playing for Wyoming or BYU. <laughs> and kicking the living shit out of tech. So I, I want to get back to that attitude, right? Like, like I want the guys that are going to buy into a program, a brotherhood, commitment, like, it's time to get – that's what I think of when I think of a and I don't think of, like, the swag copter that Kevin Sumlin was flying around and, the, you know, all this money of all these these guys we've brought in that it's just a ticket to the NFL. It's not – they don't even really care about being at a and And so I just really hope whoever this next guy is, I hope he brings a culture change. I hope he brings an attitude change. And I hope it's a team. He, he starts bringing in players that just – are there to win football games? I mean, they're to play for each other and, and play for Texas A&M. And, and, and I thought Captain kind of brought that up, and I thought that was just a super good perspective. And, and it does kind of feel like that, um, honestly. So what do you think about that, Slade? That definitely doesn't sound as cool as a beer crack. Um, so that's the biggest thing is, you know, that's all we talked about. You know, Jimbo, obviously recruiting, not a question. Um, he's had success. You know, he probably isn't the worst schematically. We had questions about the offense. Defense was always solid. But what was the culture? What was their identity? That's what you need. And so you look at guys, and so this is an absurd guy to even think about. And I can already feel how you're going to feel about this. Uh, maybe because it apparently you only like white guys. But whenever you think of guys like Deion Sanders, who – they're, they're, you know, they have a, they have a weird culture going on over there in Colorado. Is it absurd to you that people are saying Deion Sanders after his first year in Colorado should go take over a And M? Um, that's obviously a much different culture than probably you're hoping for. But 
how do you feel when guys throw around names like that compared to what I'm sure you have at the top of your list, guys like Dan Lanning and, you know, Mike Elko and stuff like that? Yeah, there's a few that I'm just like, please, God, no. Like, I do not want anything to do with Prime. I do not want anything to do with Lane Kiffin. And the weirdest one that's being thrown around that I just do not get, that I think is just totally just made up, Cliff Kingsbury. I was wondering that same day. I saw his name out there as like top five head coaching ideas or whatever for for AM. And I'm like, God, AM would be the dumbest sons of bitches if they picked him to be their next head coach. Let me tell you something about Cliff. If you have Patrick Mahomes on your roster and you don't make a you don't make a bowl game, you don't get to coach a team ever again. No. No. Yeah. And also and then you see somebody throughout there, Dan Campbell was probably gonna, you know, be a guy that they would call is Dan Campbell going to lead the Lions, a program that he's turned around and gotten to fall in love with him in the NFL? Is he going to step down? I understand, you know, like they said, the money is – they could probably match NFL money with the way um, A&M is going. I feel like going back to you don't like the money thing, I feel like A&M is the guys that are over there, you know, getting, you know, high-tech IVs and eating steak on the sideline. And tech guys are just over there smoking a cigarette right before they throw the helmet on. Um, you know, that's just the kind of difference and the kind of grit we got going on in our two programs. But that Dan Campbell thing is like absolutely ridiculous. And on top of the, like y'all said, the already stupid hires out there, but who are some kind of under the radar guys that you're hoping for, or who are some kind of no, not big name guys that really are hitting home on your lists? So you probably didn't know this, but Dan Campbell was an Aggie. So that's the only reason that that tie is even being made. I think it's just, you just kind of throw that feeler out there of like, hey, is this your dream job? And he's probably like, no, I love the Lions. So, but, yeah, I think that's not yeah. really done having I'm about to get a life-changing contract with the Lions, yes. as he should. Yes. So, so for my two cents, okay, yes, I love Dan Lanning. I love what he is doing. I love what he's doing in Oregon. He's a Kirby Smart Saban um, kind of – he comes off of that tree. He, he coached under both of them. He's an SEC guy originally. I think there's traction there. He said in his press conference, of course he's going to say that. I think there's a little bit of – I think there's a chance, like more than what people are saying with him. He'd be my first choice if I got to choose. Here's a sneaky one that I think is interesting. Dabo Sweeney. I think there is a legit chance that this happens. They're, they are at a crossroads at Clemson. He's unhappy. You can see it in his interviews. You know, he went off on the caller that called into the Clemson radio show. Like, he's unhappy right now with that fan base. They got spoiled. You almost feel like he's done everything he can do there. You wonder if he's looking for a fresh start. I think that's a guy that could come in and bring a culture, bring an identity. So so you give me my choice. I'm thinking Dan Landing or Dabo. I think those are two really cool, interesting prospects. Catherine's choice, she wanted me to mention this, is Mike Elko, the coach at Duke. He's our ex-defensive coordinator. He is a great coach. Wouldn't be mad at him. Just don't know if he's a big name, a big enough splash hire that they would choose him. But I think he'd be a great coach. Okay, so <clears throat> I'll react to your two and then give you mine, my sleeper. For one, Dan Lanning will not go to AM. He He's going to get all the money he wants at Oregon. He doesn't have quite the expectations that is not championship or bust over there. I don't think there's any chance in hell he's leaving Oregon. Hell, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I don't think he's leaving there. 
<laughs> the Dabo thing, I think that would be a great hire for AM. And I, I agree with everything you said. But uh, someone put on Twitter that uh, they're like, hey, what about Dabo to AM? Kind of said the same stuff that you just did. And uh, there was uh, some AM fan page that tweeted back and said, if we wanted a former champion that comes in with high expectations just to shit all over the bed, we would have hired Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. But if, one one name that I've seen out there, I don't think there's any way it's going to happen, but it's a, it's a very quiet name. Uh, I think his name is Jeff Trailer, the UTSA head coach. I really think that he lost his, uh, his leverage this year and last year. Was it three years ago that they went like 10-0 and 0, or maybe 9-1 or something like that? And there was conversation that they should be in the playoff. Everybody knew that was dumb. But they were – UTSA was really good, and he opted to stay there. You know, Tech thought that – there was a lot of Tech people that thought he was going to go there. And I don't know if we ever interviewed him or whatever, but that's that's a sleeper that could maybe make it over there that's not a big name, but I doubt it. Let me throw another couple of sleepers your way. Just right before I do that, going back to the Dan Lanning thing, he's obviously – He's the ace. You know, he is the top of the line, what nobody would argue. There's nothing wrong you can say about him, but they will have to back up the Brinks truck. And do y'all think, give me your opinions real quick. How does, you know, the way that the Big Ten Conference is treating Coach Harbaugh, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest coaching names in college football, does the way that they treat him affect how Dan Lanning looks at it? You know, he's going to be one of the biggest head coaches, big head coaching names in college football. And the Big Ten Conference is kind of on their high horse, you know. I understand that there's allegations and whatnot, but they're kind of being you-know-whats to Coach Harbaugh and singling him out rather than the program itself. Do you think that affects him, you know, hit Oregon moving into the Big Ten next year? Does he sit around and think, why would I not want to go coach in, you know, the SEC where, you know, they don't give a damn what you do as long as you are a tough, you know, hard-fighting, you know, big SEC name, you know, nobody really raises eyebrows. You go and play football every Saturday. That's it. I agree with you, Slade, in what, like, he would think they're in that situation. But the the thing is, is it's easier to be a good but not great coach in the Big Ten than it is in the SEC, in my opinion. Look at, uh, what's the Penn State guy, James Franklin? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Look at him. I mean, he's Mr. Nine and two. He's Mr. Eight and two. Whatever it is, like he he's always on the cusp of being great, but he's not. They always got a good team, but not a great team. So I think you could go to the Big Ten and be a good enough coach to be in the conversation, but never actually do anything with it. If you go into the SEC and you have a lot of years, like like I'm going to say, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's always kind of his team is always in that conversation. But they never get that. They always get the shit kicked out of them late in the year. I mean, if you go and be one of those guys, eventually your time's going to run out. Yeah, like look at like I think of Les Miles at LSU. Yeah, he was nine and three every year, like at worst, and they just got finally fed up with him and move on. Or like I, I agree with what you're saying. The only thing with Dan Landing, you just got to you would hope for like for us is that he wanted to get back to SEC football, is that his roots are in the South. He wants to come back to that. He wants to coach against his former employees in Saban and uh, Kirby Smart. Like, that'd be the only thing. But I'm I'm with you. I think it's a I think it's a Hail Mary because he has a great setup. With Nike, Phil Knight, all of it. I mean, I don't 
I don't know that that one. I don't know what the realistic chances are of that one. Right, and and it's not you're you're not having any trouble bringing guys over to Oregon with the kind of money they have and the NIL with Nike and everybody being right there by the campus. But um, we're getting into the weeds a little bit too much. But real quick, my under the radar guys, Eric, I just have to ask you real quick, how do you feel about either of the Kansas coaches, K State? Chris Kleiman has looked, you know, solid. Last year took a very probably less talented K-State team to the Big 12 championship, plays a really hard style of football, um, you know, dealing with a bunch of white boys, as Eric would say. And then Lance Leipold has had one of the best turnarounds in college football with Kansas. And also a very hard-nosed guy, plays good defense, um, you know, like we saw this weekend, was down to his third-string quarterback and took things down to the wire against Tech. And as much as we hated both of their, you know, last second coaching decisions, they have had great turnarounds and great success. Are those names even worthy of being in the conversation or are those kind of the names that people are just fishing out there? Give me Bill Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think that those are great coaches. Like I think that you, you put them in that second tier level with like the Jeff trailer, the Mike Elko of like, these are amazing coaches they're going to bring a culture that you're hungry to win and you got to give them time. I just, they're in that second tier because I just don't know if AM is going to be willing to hire a guy like that. I just, my biggest fear is that they were so into this. They're going to just overpay for a big name is my biggest fear. Now, if that big name comes in as motivated and they can do great things, that'd be great. But I'm just, I'm nervous of a repeat like mm-hmm. you just talked about. Absolutely nervous, and it's one of those, we're going to be in this waiting period for a very long time, but talking into another waiting period that we sat around and waited to see a coach get fired, I know that our guy Chadillac Fangman is not here, but I have to go ahead and throw out there, what the hell is Justin Herbert doing? He is saving Brandon Staley's job every week. Just let yourself get blown out. The Lions were absolutely running it down their throats all first half and were absolutely just, I mean, Beating them on a physicality standpoint from a defensive perspective to where Brandon Staley should be accountable, if you just let yourself get blown out, they might pull the trigger. But Justin Herbert is too damn good, keeps pulling him in these second-half comebacks. Is that helping Brandon Staley keep his job? And if you're Justin Herbert, are you sitting there going, I might you know, just sling one of these to the sideline and let this guy you know, take a walk? I don't know what else they could do to get him fired. I really don't know. He might just get a lifetime contract. It makes no sense to me. But the the Chargers, their motto should be, we're going to play to the level of our competition, no matter how much higher it is than us or how much lower it is than us. Like, it, it is just insane. I feel so bad for Chad having to deal with that, and I'm sure he knows better than I do that that's exactly what to expect every Sunday. But, I mean – I know we sound like a broken record here, but what the hell does Staley have to do? What what do the Chargers have to do to get him fired? Because they should be way better than a five and five record. If they lose, if they lose to the Packers this week, they they got the Packers right. As I think they right. do. If they lose to the Packers this weekend, then surely he doesn't get on the plane right home. Like surely, but you never hear anybody say that they don't like the Chargers. Like I, I said this a month ago on the podcast, like. I feel like everybody wants the Chargers to be good so bad because they're so likable. You would want Justin Herbert to win. And, yeah, Brandon Sanders not doing it. I, I don't – I'm with you. They're wasting time. 
it's one of those when the quarterback is likable, it makes you root for him that much more. But whenever he has that level of talent, you're going, okay, what do we got to do to get this guy into a winning culture? And speaking of, you know, quarterbacks that we love, we have loved Dak Prescott off the field more than, you know, most quarterbacks that have gone through the NFL. He has just been a culture guy and it just hasn't been on the field. And that's why we've had questions, but these last couple of weeks, the, I mean, Dak is tearing it up, and this week you knew that they were going to come in and blow out the Giants. Not a big deal. Um, this week, I'm, I, I keep forgetting who they're going to play, but it's another blowout game on the schedule. Um, you know, by all means, you should take care of them. Um, but, Eric, do you take in, anything to account, you know, how these last couple weeks have gone? You blew out the Rams. Now you blow out um, – um, I mean – Giants. Giants. Yeah, Giants. Sorry, I just said it. They blew out the Giants, you know, whatnot – um, do you take anything to account? CeeDee Lamb finally has resurrected from his slumber early in the season and is now lighting it up on the scoreboard. Um, how do you feel about this Cowboys team? Would you feel better about facing a team like the Eagles or is it still the same, you know, Cowboys team that faced the Eagles a couple weeks ago? Okay. This is what sucks for Dak Prescott. He's playing the best football of his career right now like he's on like a four game stretch of the best stack I think we've ever seen he's playing amazing and you got to give him credit but here's what here's the thing that sucks for him it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you do right now until you make it to that NFC championship game and then you ball out in that game it just it doesn't like I can't even sit here and get fired up about the Cowboys because I'm just sitting here I'm like we've seen this movie before like we're going to blow out all these teams. We're going to look good. We're going to make the playoffs. And then we're going to, you know, then the 49ers are going to come in and end our season. Like we've, we've seen this movie. So what sucks for him and why I can't get super excited is until we win, we make that playoff run. It just doesn't matter right now. It is my opinion. That's a, that's a horrible feeling to have. Like I wish I could be fired up when we're winning these games. But I've been let down in the end too many times. In your opinion, you're talking about that. In your opinion, with Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott, can you make that playoff run? Do you honestly think that they could make a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott? No, I don't. I don't think they're capable of of winning that whatever three games in a row. Is it three or four if you have to play in the wild card? I think it's three to get there. Three to get there. I I know I don't think yeah. so. I mean I don't. They haven't proven it to me that we can even get close. So to answer your question, no. But I'm a fan and I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful <laughs> and, I, and I fall for it every year just to get my heart broken. <laughs> See, this is why it's more fun to be a Cardinals fan because after Kyler Murray's first game back, I think he's the best quarterback ever, and the Cardinals are back on top, baby. So. Uh, <laughs> Both these boys can't even laugh because they have a hit take right after I said that. <laughs> Fuck it, go for it. It's like, I have never seen someone do a 180 on a player like you and Kyler Murray. Like you, it was one year ago, you, I literally, if y'all were locked together in a room, I would have taken you in a fight. You hated his guts. And now you are like, we'll pass on Caleb Williams. We're the best ever. Kyler Murray is our guy. Build a, build a team around him. Also, has anybody in the history ever said, that's why I'm glad I'm a Cardinals fan. <laughs> okay. 
that was that was my overreaction Wednesday. I don't actually think that Kyler Murray is the best thing ever. You know, I don't think he's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, it was, you know, reassuring and a good sign that he played well. Uh, the offense looked well with him at the helm. Um, but what hurts me more is just watching – oh, my gosh. Watching Josh Dobbs just light it up and kick the shit out of all of my Bet the Farm picks – that burns me to my absolute core, but talking a dang, go for it. I was just going to say, like, I know that that hurts that it burns you like that, but you got to be really happy for a guy like Josh Dobbs. Oh, like absolutely. no one even knew, no one knew who he was before this year. And then he came in, he kind of looked like he was going to give the Cardinals a little life. And now he's doing really well at the Vikings. Just from a football standpoint, you got to be really happy for that guy. Oh, absolutely. And, the last memory, if he didn't get the opportunity that he did, you know, to re- resurrect his career with the Cardinals is the last memory people had was him at the Titans throwing the check down um, in that playoff game rather than that, you know, it was, I think it was fourth and 20 or something. Um, I don't know if y'all remember that game, but he got thrown in there and just made a bogus move. And he probably would have never had a long career as a backup. Now it doesn't matter who comes back, who's the starter of the next year for the Vikings. Josh Dobbs has made himself a shit ton of money throughout the rest of his life as a backup. Super quick, Slade. One word answers from both of you. More impressive, Kevin O'Connell or Josh Dobbs? Uh, ooh, fuck. Josh Dobbs. Kevin O'Connell. Okay, because I, I, could, I could make an argument for both. So I think it's amazing what they've been doing. I did... Slave, real quick. I know we're I know we're dragging on. I don't know how long we've been doing this, but I saw a video today where this guy he was like, "Let me paint a picture for next year." So, Kirk Cousins, free agent after this year, Josh Dobbs going to keep playing his ass off like he is. So he's going to be the Vikings guy moving from here on out. Josh Dobbs is the guy. Kirk Cousins is going to move on. Guess where Kirk Cousins lands? The Pittsburgh Steelers. Kenny Pickett is not their guy. Kirk Cousins goes there. What are they, 6-3 and three right now? With Kenny Pickett, who puts up 90 yards per game. You throw Kirk Cousins in there, they can be a Super Bowl team with a guy like uh, the guy like Mike Tomlin as their head coach. I just thought that that was just a very crazy take, and I was all about it. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, going back, I was talking about Josh Dobbs. I, I mean, again, so happy for him, even though he's really killing my bet the farm bets. Uh, another guy that got his bet the farm bet killed was Brent. And, you know, I just want to ask you all, which of these is more true? Dane, whenever you think about it, watching that Monday night football game against the Broncos and the Bills, my preseason prediction was the Broncos to not be able to rebound with Sean Payton like many people thought they were going to. Now they're kind of getting things rolling. Which is more true to you at this point in the season, that the Broncos are, you know, on the uphill and maybe start to be legit under the Sean Payton era, or the Bills are frauds and Josh Allen is not clutch and can't doesn't have that ability to win football games consistently? Which of those is more true in your mind? I would say that the Bills are frauds. Uh, I think Eric was the one that said it before the season that, the Bills are going to be a letdown team. He called it from the beginning. And I think it is just so true. Sean McDermott, I think that he would be such a great defensive coordinator. 
but I don't know if he's a great head coach. Josh Allen, I, I don't think that there's any way he'll ever just be a career backup in the NFL. He seems like he's got way too much talent to be that. But he just makes so many bonehead decisions. He's leading the league with like 11 picks right now. He's pulling a Dak Prescott. And it's just it's mind-blowing to me that you can have – like he could be so good yet so shitty at the same time. Yeah, I totally agree. That was my hot take. When we did this right before the season started, that was my hot take of the NFL – was that the Bills were going to have a huge letdown season. They weren't going to make the playoffs. Right now, I think if you did – I think the playoff picture, I think they're out right at the moment. Yeah, so we'll I think see. they're in the hunt. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how it ends up. I mean, I, I thought this was predictable just because Stephon Diggs, the way that ended last year, he was barking at Josh Allen and everything just looked bad. But um, I, I, I agree with him. I think the Bills are frauds. I'm sticking with that. I don't think they make the playoffs. Great takes all around. Well, boys, after dragging on, it's time to bring it in. It's time to hone in because it is time for our Triple F Draft segment of the week, baby. And this week, we're doing a little bit different draft. We're doing a sports voices draft. So this is talking about, you know, your favorite sports commentators, your play-by-play, your color guys. But on top of that, going into all those sports commentators, your daily talk shows, your, you know, sports analysts in halftime, pregame, anything like that. The most iconic sports voices, not only how they sound, what they have meant to sports, their sports moments. So this is our sports voices draft. I have the number one pick, and I'm going to go with a different direction. There are so many iconic play-by-play guys that I love so much, and so many that should have this obvious number one pick. But just to throw the boys off behind me, I'm going to take a different guy. A guy with one of the best overall pure voices in sports talk show. One of the guys that means so much to sports radio. He is a calm, soothing, deep-hearted, you know, has a lot of bass to his voice. I love hearing him in the morning. It is just the perfect way, perfect voice to start your gay day. Give me Dan Patrick for my sports voice draft number one overall pick. Great pick, Slade. That's funny because I had a feeling one of you Bormans were going to take Dan Patrick. I know that's a David Borman classic. I know that you boys like ODP. So good pick. Um, I've been excited about this draft for a while because every sports fan, you have like your heroes. You know, it's like when you listen, like when you hear that opening line, and let me just say something right now. Hello, friends. Give me Jim Nance. No! I love Jim Nance with all my heart. He is my Damn hero, it. man. Like when you, it. if it's it doesn't matter if it's if it's a football game, it doesn't matter if it's golf, it doesn't matter what it is. When he comes on and he says, Hello friends, it makes my day. It makes oh. me so happy. Jim Nance. Gosh dang it, dude. What? And that probably should have been the number one overall pick because that hello, friends, and just what he means to not only football. I was probably thinking about this too much football-wise, but Eric, that's, I mean, should have been the number one overall pick, but I just love Dan Patrick's voice too much. Dane. Oh, man. I mean, you get chills every time that he says, we're at 18th at Augusta. <laughs> I mean, chills. What a great pick. You stole that one right under my feet. Um Man, with my number one overall, I got to do it. I got to go with a goat, a legend. Give me 
Dicky yes. yeah. <laughs> That's what it's all about, baby. It's all about basketball on a good old Saturday night. That's what it's all about, baby. Love Dicky V. Good news. He just came out cancer free. So good news for Dicky V. We love Dicky V. Uh, so I guess I get uh, another one. Um, I'm going to take Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson, whenever he's calling those primetime games, like nothing's better than the kick six call. Gosh almighty, he knows how to make a game really entertaining. Give me Gus Johnson with my number two. That is hilarious that you take Gus Johnson. That is so funny to me. All right. Um, Dickie V was a great pick because he was on my list. I was hoping that he would sneak down to like the third round, but good pick. Um, it's this has been this pick has been tainted a little bit by Thursday night football, mm-hmm. but I want the pre Thursday night football Al Michaels. Can, I'm I'm showing Eric my list for the first time. My number one, I literally have old Al Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> when Al Michaels was doing the Sunday night broadcast. That was the – there was nothing better. Like, you knew it was the best time of year when you were at home. You It was the fall. It was cool outside. You just had a good meal and a great Sunday. And that night, you cap it all off with Al Michaels calling the game. So, give me Al Michaels as my number two. I love all the – I mean, this this is one of those iconic picks where you really – as long as you're, you know, not a dingus, you, can, you can't mess up in one of these. Um I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take a guy, not so much. I know we're a football podcast, but this guy is just one of the, has the most iconic lines in all of sports and it's Mike Breen. And for those guys who don't know who, who that guy is, this is the guy with the electric bang, you know, every single time, you know, every guy out, uh, out to Ray Allen through his three pointer bang, you know, one of the best calls of all time. Uh, man, I love that guy. This next one, he's not so much a great voice. You know, like Gus Johnson is a great voice. Um, Dan Patrick has a great voice and everything like that, has a great sound to his voice. This voice means so much to me because I am a purely college football addict. And Eric talked about this early in the season. It's Kirk Herbstreet. And um, – we talked about it, and, you know, we don't love him on Thursday Night Football because he feels like college football. That's what Eric said not too long ago. He, We were texting about how we don't love uh, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet on Thursday Night Football. It's because Kirk Herbstreet sounds like college football. He feels like college football. And his voice, along with Chris Fowler, just really – Gets the juices going on my Saturdays. So, um, Kirk Herbstreit, I love you. You're my childhood. <laughs> Great pick, Slade. So, I don't, this is probably going to sound horrible. I'm going to play a 15 second clip and then I'm going to go ahead and make my pick. 1,500 red blood Americans just decided to apply to Florida State. Yeah, indeed. Uh, okay. Now, you probably don't, I don't know if you remember that clip or not. My, my third pick is Brent Musburger. When he was doing the calls with Kirk Herbstreit, I don't think there was anything better in the entire world. And in that the little 15-second clip I just showed, they came out of a commercial break, and they show three Florida State girls on the front wearing basically nothing. And he says, 1,500 red-blooded American males just applied to Florida State. 
<laughs> he was also the one that made the inappropriate comment about AJ McCarron's girlfriend. Catherine mm-hmm. Wood, we all remember her. <laughs> we all remember her. Brent Musburger is like that grandpa that everyone loves. Like, he is my guy. I miss him. Give me Brent Musburger. Chad is going to appreciate that pick right there. Give me Brent Musburger for my third. Okay, before I make my final pick, I got to know, are we going three or four rounds here? Three. Three, so this is the last pick? Yes. Daggummit. Okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to take Joe Buck. He gets a lot of slander. I absolutely love Joe Buck. I hate the kind of slander that he gets, and it it just drives me crazy that people don't like him. Slide, what were you going to say? I was going to say we can keep going if y'all want, but I'm going to defend your Joe Buck pick as well because I feel like he stays out of the way of a lot of great plays. Like many sports commentators, many play-by-play guys want to be a part of the moment so bad. And I think Joe Buck has one of the greatest sports calls of all time, which was that Minneapolis miracle. And he stayed out of the way of that moment so much that it really made me respect the way he calls games. But – um, do y'all want to go another round? Do y'all want to call it off there? Let, let's go. We'll go one more. So I got it. Send it back to you, Slate. Um, gosh, dang it. Okay. I'm, I might have to give an honorable mention if none of y'all give him, get him because uh, he's really good. So with my fourth, I'm going to take the newbie. I'm going to take Pat McAfee. He's really starting a lot of fire in the game day. His show is really entertaining. He's real funny. He knows how to get the crowd excited. If you don't watch game day, he can get the whole crowd going. Give me Pat McAfee. I love Pat McAfee. I literally love that guy. Like, he is like living the life we all want to live. So, I can't – we cannot let this draft go by without this person getting taken. Give me Tom Rinaldi. And give me some piano in the background and <laughs> him commentating a story. I want Tom Rinaldi. He is the man. Great picks, and I'm going back to – I feel like I'm starting to pick guys that I love how they break down the game more than how they sound, so I'm kind of defeating the whole, you know, voices part of it. But I'm going to go for a guy that I just absolutely value how he breaks down the game more than how he sounds doing it. I think he has a great voice too, but give me Joel Klatt. Um, I think he's one of the best young sports commentators in the game right now. The way he pairs with Gus Johnson is absolutely incredible. And Joel Klatt, I think, is one of the smartest guys on the, you know, sport on the color commentating side of the game. So I love the way he calls games. I love the way he breaks it down. I know y'all hate that pick, but go go eat a dick. I don't care. Oh wow. I just I was actually just raising my hand because I wanted to give some honorable mentions. I got two right here. I mean, no reason to tell me to go do that. Um, <laughs> honorable mention, Reese Davis. He He's absolutely incredible on game day and all that. Reese Davis is a dog. Um, other honorable mention that I had on my list was Kevin Burkhart. He is, I mean, he's pretty much basketball is what he's known for, but his voice is one of the most recognizable voices of all time. He is so good. Little baby KK. Little baby KK. <laughs> he is so good. That's all I got. Slide back to you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you all enjoyed that uh, Triple F draft brought to you uh, from the Triple F itself. Well, 
it's time to wrap it up. The only way we know how. Let's dive in to our Super Dog segment of the week. This is where we pick the spreads in college and NFL, um, where we try to pick the big underdogs and we try to beat the spread. Coming to you from this last week was Chad. We won to get him back on the streak, but uh, unfortunately he was just four points away. Uh, actually, no, he got four points this week. He took USC plus 15. They ended up only losing by nine. So now Chad is only 111 and a half points under the spread. Eric, he got a big win this week along with Dane. They both picked Duke uh, to cover 14 and a half versus North Carolina. So Eric is now four points below the surface. Dane is eight and a half points beneath the spread. Brent had his first big loss in a while. He's been on a heater. Um, really screwed up my parlay, so thanks a lot, Brent. Um, but he took Kentucky plus 11, and they ended up getting shellacked, lost by 28 to Bama. So he lost 17 points and is now 19 points against the surface, sitting at second place to – oh, wait. Oh, that's me. I, I took Utah <laughs> plus 9.5, and, and they only lost by 7. So I got 2.5 more points to get me 32.5 points above the surface, above the spread. Dane, give us you and Chad's pick for this week. All right, thank you, Slade. So Chad's super dog is uh, Rutgers plus 20 and a half. Penn State has confidence issues right now, according to Chad. Don't hate that pick. That was actually one that I was thinking about. So go ahead and lock that one in for Chad. I'm taking BYU plus 24 and a half against Oklahoma. BYU's at home. Um, Oklahoma. Yeah, just give me BYU. <laughs> What's funny is I almost took both those games, and I I had BYU as my pick, but then I I got I talked myself out of it. So I'm going with Maryland plus 19 against Michigan, and the only reason is because this is the middle of. So Michigan played Penn State last week. They play Ohio State next week, and this is kind of that random ass game in the middle. So I'm I'm hoping that they're sore from last week. I'm hoping that they're emotionally tired and I ho- and they're thinking about Ohio State. So give me Maryland plus nine. <laughs> I love it. Um, Brent is going to go ahead and take North Carolina plus six and a half. They're going into Clemson. I like this one a lot. It was one of my favorites. It was probably going to be my pick. Um, you know, North Carolina typically does not lose or win games by very much, so expect them to keep it close going into Clemson. Uh, great pick there. I, I want to be different. I don't want us to, any of us to have the same picks this week. I want to make it uh, a fun thing for everybody. So I'm going to go with a total out-of-the-box game. I thought about UCLA. I like them against USC. But with now them you know, saying Chip Kelly might get fired, I don't like that. I'm not going to touch that game. So give me Appalachian State at James Madison University. So – James Madison, nine-point favorites. Uh, you know, the Appalachian State guys are real fighters. You know, our A&M boys should know uh, plenty about that one. Uh, but a- or Appalachian State won three out of their last five, have been absolute studs, won three straight, uh, played games really, really close. James Madison undefeated. I like them. Give me Appalachian State, baby. All right. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that was our Super Dog segment of the week. And now it is time for our Bet the Farm segment of the week, baby. And it is sponsored by the Beer Box. It is there on Main Street. Stop in there. If you can't make it on a cold day over to one of our favorite spots like Bubba's or Hooters, 
stop in there. They got plenty of fun sitting there ready for you. Grab grab a bottle of whiskey, grab a case of beer, and head to head to the house to have a great time. But, ladies and gentlemen, our Bet the Farm segment of the week. Dane, take us away. Just want to give you all updating rating ranking real quick. Chad sitting at eight and three after his win. Eric uh, took a loss with the Texans upset five and six. Dane uh, fortunately lost his Kansas bet sitting at four and seven. Brent another loss unfortunately on Monday after the Bills got upset sitting at three and eight. And then me again, like I mentioned before, Josh Jobs absolutely kicking my ass to put me at six and five. Dane, take us away with the picks. All right, thanks, Slate. So to start us off, Chadillac is going to take your Arizona Cardinals plus five. Chad said, betting rule number 82, always fade a rookie quarterback, a.k.a. C.J. Stroud, the week he enters MVP discussion. Honestly, that's a pretty good way of thinking about it. So lock Cardinals plus five in for Chad. Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. I really, since Tech won the game against Kansas, I almost felt like I should pick UCF, but I, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it because I'm going to that game. I just didn't want to do it. So I'm going to take something that does not seem to break very often unless I bet it, and that's an, a good old unders bet. Give me Iowa's under versus Illinois. It is set at 30 and a half points. So go ahead and lock that one in. Unbelievable. Good pick, and Chad's pick is good. Chad is on fire. You, if you're not following Chad's picks at this point, then you're just you're just giving away money. So uh, give me – I want the Wyoming white boys. Minus 13.5 versus Hawaii. Hawaii is going to fly all the way across the Pacific Ocean, come all the way into cold Wyoming. They're going to play those white boys. Give me Wyoming minus 13.5 to blow the doors off of Hawaii. Big fans of Wyoming on this podcast. Uh, like we mentioned, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are uh, heavy favorites, rightfully so, against the Panthers this week. So that's who Brenton is going with. He's eaten all ten and a half points of that, and he is going to take the Cowboys to cover the spread against the Panthers. Well, I've talked plenty about Josh Dobbs not being able to, you know, keep my bet the farm picks alive. So if you can't beat him, join him. The Vikings are going to Denver to take on the Broncos. They are favored, or the Broncos are favored by two and a half. I think this is kind of one of those comeback to earth moments for the Broncos. You know, everybody's talking. You know, they've righted the ship. They've they've come out the other side, and I think the Vikings are just freaking hot right now. And I think that they are heading towards a playoff spot. So I'm gonna switch my strategy up since Josh Dobbs has been kicking my ass, and I'm gonna put all of my faith on Josh Dobbs to go in and beat the Broncos. Broncos, minus two and a half, Vikings. That's my bet the farm pick. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We appreciate y'all, and we hope that y'all enjoy our bangers of the week more than anything because Brent sure does have some soothing bangers for your eardrums, and he has another one coming up this week. It is Sarah's Place featuring Noah. How do you even say it? Cahan. Yeah. Well, anyways, this is Brent's banger of the week. We hope you all of your bet the farm locks hit. We hope all your parlays hit. Most of all, we hope your fantasy teams are going absolutely electric in these last few weeks of the season.
Road dogs are built for sleeping in. Driving on things for a year. At your worst, you're better than my better day. There ain't been no sun in LA. Miss you moved out of Sarah's place. I love your mother's stories about you as a kid. Gibson. Mm-hmm. 